if you could open your Bibles, if you have them, to Matthew 27, or you could open to, actually, I'm going to go to John 19, but you can go to Matthew 27. I'm going to run through this first a little bit very quick. It, it's not so much preaching, it's just something that I find fascinating, and I, I know there's people out there with a similar mind, for those who love truth and they think it's a certain way. So I just wanted to give you this, and then we'll get more into Scripture. But these three words, Christ conquered death, define the most important difference between Christianity and all other religions. It's true. No other religious leader or Messiah or any person that claimed to be ever predicted his own death and resurrection. Ever. Never based his claims about himself and his teachings, or his, the truth that he carried in a sense, on that prediction, and then kept that promise. None ever. Never happened. John 19, I'm going to read you very quickly just before he died. It says in John 19, verse 28, After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, very important, all things were now accomplished. So in his mind, everything was done that had to be done, except this one issue. He says, But that the scripture might be fulfilled, said, I thirst. He said, I thirst. Why? Because there was a prophecy, there was something that was, had not yet been fulfilled. And it's talking about Psalm 69 when it says they will give him sour wine. And that prophecy was the one left that hadn't been fulfilled. He said, I thirst. So a vessel, now a vessel of sour wine was sitting there and they filled a sponge with sour wine. They put it on hyssop, which is a little plant, and they put it to his mouth. So when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. It is finished. Now, why do I bring it up? It's a strange way to start. And it says, bowing ahead, his head, he gave up his spirit. There was a, I just found this very interesting, prophetic fulfillments, there's hundreds of them. I think two or three hundred different scholars said different things. And Jesus fulfilled them all. He fulfilled them all. But how's this? A prophetic, Peter Stone, a chairman of the Department of Mathematics and Astronomy at Pasadena College, was passionate about biblical prophecies. So with 600 students, he looked at eight specific prophecies about Jesus. They came up with extremely conservative probability. So they took eight prophecies. Now he puts out a list of 55 most known ones, which we'll, we won't look at all of them. But he came up just with a list of eight. And I don't know what the eight were. They're in the study that I don't have with me now. But just with eight, and worked out mathematical probabilities, because he was a mathematician. And he said this, they came up with extremely conservative probabilities for each one being fulfilled and then considered the likelihood of Jesus fulfilling those eight prophecies. The conclusion to his research was staggering. The prospect that anyone would satisfy those prophecies was just one in ten to the power of seventeen. Just eight prophecies. That is, I think the word there is quintillion. Seventeen zeros. That was the mathematical odds of just eight. He describes it like this. The study said, in science speak. So, for those of you who are wired that way. He said, let us try to visualize this chance. If you mark one of ten tickets and place all of the tickets in a hat and thoroughly stir them and then ask a blindfolded man to draw one, his chance of getting the right ticket is one in ten. Suppose we take the ten to the power of seventeen silver dollars and lay them on the face of Texas. They will cover all the state of Texas two feet deep. Now mark one of those silver coins, stir the mass thoroughly all over the state, blindfold a man and tell him he must travel into Texas as far as he wishes, but he must pick the one silver dollar that is marked the right one. 
just the same chance that the prophets would have had of writing eight prophecies, and there's hundreds, and having them all come true in one man from any time from the past to the present time, providing that they used their own wisdom, obviously meaning they did not. That's eight prophecies. So I threw up a list here, and you'll see that the numbers don't make sense. That's just because I just pulled them out of this list. Um, he put together 55 with 600 students. But some of these, I'm just going to read them to you. We're not going to focus on it. Just because I just felt the Lord told me to do it, and it's important, and it's actually it's extremely interesting. This is right now is one of the reasons that people across the world in the East and the Far East are getting saved. This reason right here. Because most of these he couldn't determine. It says this. One of some of the prophecies, a virgin will give birth and he will be called Emmanuel. He had no power over that. The Messiah will end up in Egypt. He has no power over that. He was a baby. The Christ will be born in Bethlehem. He had no power over that. Jesus will have a sinless, blemish-free life and ministry. Jesus will be a reminder, a gentle redeemer, sorry, to the Gentiles. Jerusalem will rejoice as the Messiah comes to her upon a donkey. He could do the donkey bit, but he couldn't do the rejoicing bit. He will be betrayed for 30 pieces of silver. You would think if they knew that. The Bible says that. That was the last thing they would have given Judas. Realizing we're actually confirming something. Like the Passover lamb, none of Christ's bones will be broken, which was an anomaly. Everyone who's crucified's bones was broken. Christ's resurrection was prophesied. The Messiah's suffering would include thirst. They would pierce Christ's hands and feet. They would cast lots for his clothing. They would, Messiah would conquer death. And it goes on and on and on. Just eight of them, ten to the power of seventeen, probability that it would be done. Just eight. Jesus is who he said he is. He really is. I know it. You may not know it, but he is. He genuinely, genuinely is. We're going to go to Matthew 27. You're already there, so well done. You've passed. You can eat an extra piece of meat at lunch. So Matthew 27, every year I read the Easter story, and I always ask the Lord what and how and when. This year he gave me an interesting take on things, and so we're just going to look at the scripture, and we'll just pull out some truth from there. Go to verse 38. It says this, Then two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right and another on the left. And those who passed by blasphemed him, wagging their heads and saying, You destroyed the temple and built it in three days. Save yourself. They're mocking him because Jesus said that. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. Likewise, the chief priest. I mean, that's an amazing statement to say to someone. Realizing that that's why he actually had to come. Shows you the blindness that they had. The Bible says the enemy will blind our minds. It says, likewise, the chief priests also, mocking with the scribes and elders, said, He saved others. Himself he cannot save. If he is the king of Israel, let him come down now from the cross, and we will believe him. He trusted in God. Let him deliver him now, if he will have him. For he said, I am the son of God. Even the robbers who were crucified with him reviled him with the same thing. Now from the sixth hour until the ninth hour, there was darkness all over the land. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which actually means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But they thought it was Elijah because some of them didn't understand Aramaic. That's why. That is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Some of those who stood there when they heard said, this man is calling for Elijah. Eli, Eli. So they think Elias, which was the Hebrew Elijah. Immediately one of them ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine, and put it on the reed and offered it to him to drink. We read that in John 19. 
The rest said, let him alone. Let us see if Elijah will come to save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. That word yielded in the Greek is the word dismissed. To send away willingly is what it actually means. He dismissed his spirit. Very important because sin did not overcome him. We have to understand it. He dismissed it like a principal would a student. You can go now. I'm done with you. He dismissed his spirit willingly. Because in the Old Testament, the sacrifice for sin, which was a goat, the weight and the power of that, that they would transfer into this animal through the laying on of hands of the priests, would kill the animal. So the punishment was greater than the sacrifice. In the New Testament, it was not. The sacrifice, which was Christ, was greater than the punishment. He had to be. It's important to understand. Then he says this, Then behold, when the Bible says behold, in the Greek it basically says, pay attention. Listen carefully. The veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth quaked, and the rocks were split, and the graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. It was people from that day, not Old Testament people, like people from that had recently died. Imagine that Uncle Waldo comes back and he's there drinking favorite coffee. You're like, I went to, just think about it. That's what happened. It says, and the graves were opened and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised and coming out of the graves after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. So when the centurion and those with him were guarding Jesus, they saw and saw the earthquake and the things that had happened, they feared greatly. These were hardened soldiers. Who knows some of the stuff that Roman soldiers used to do was not, not nice, not pleasant, stuff that is illegal today. In the Geneva Convention, that was their life. Yet they saw this and they became afraid. That should tell us something. It says, the earthquake and the things that had happened and they feared greatly, saying, truly, this was the Son of God. I want to speak to you about four things. The darkness that came, the veil that tore, the earth that quaked, and the saints who came out of the grave. And what they each mean. Some of them, people have different opinions. Today, I have the mind. So I get to give you mine. Okay. It says there was darkness for three hours. Now from the sixth hour until the ninth hour. This was not 6 p.m. to 9 p.m. This was the Hebrew calendar, 6th hour. It was noon to 3 p.m. It was the middle of the day. Amos chapter 8, it's not going to come up. You can keep looking for Amos, it's not going to come up. Amos 8 said that I will make the sun go down from noon for three hours. This was not an eclipse. I think that may be coming up behind you. It occurred at Passover. Passover occurred at full moon. Any eclipse requires a new moon. I looked it up in NASA. It says here, NASA maps charting the path of 5,000 years worth of solar eclipses and do indeed chart eight total solar eclipses in a three-year period. One of those was even falls in the year 33, which is when people say he died. However, the path of that eclipse was nowhere near Jerusalem. Instead, it was Antarctica. It was not some eclipse. Some people say it is. It is not. NASA will tell you it is not. It was a supernatural event. 
supernatural darkness. Why? The New Testament makes three declarations about God. It makes many in the Old, but three specific ones in the New Testament that said God is love, God is spirit, and God is light. That's what it says. The Bible says Jesus came into the world, and in him was life. Life. The original source of life. And that life was the light of men. Very important. That life was the light of men. It says the darkness, the light shines in the darkness in the world, but the darkness cannot comprehend it. That's what it says in John. So the light of the world, in a sense, is going out. Now, what does that mean? Very important. In Exodus chapter 10 to 12, you can go read it. It actually says in the ninth plague, because this is what I think it represents. People tell you different things. For me, it's very clear. It says this in Exodus 10. Verse 22, then Moses, who was the Old Testament mediator, yes? He knows that the Old Testament was a shadow pointing to something in the New Testament. Yeah? So the first covenant that was cut with Moses, then Jesus. Well, it was one of the covenants, but the main one with Moses. And then Christ. Here we have Moses with the ninth plague, and this is what happened. It says, Moses stretched out his hand toward heaven, and there was thick darkness in the land of Egypt. How long? Three days. Well, that's interesting. They did not see one another. It was that dark. Nor did anyone rise from his place for three days. I mean, that's almost too easy. No one rose for three days. What is that pointing to? Someone will rise after three days. But they didn't move for three days for terror. Jesus didn't move for three, and it wasn't three full days, three days on the Hebrew calendar. It's exactly the same. It's the substance of that shadow that it's pointing to. And it says, but all the children of Israel had light in their dwellings. Very interesting. What did it precede? This darkness. The death of the firstborn in Egypt or the substitute sacrificial lamb for God's people. It came just before. Yeah, we have darkness. Three hours. It comes just before what? The death of the sacrificial lamb and the firstborn son. It speaks of one major, major thing. People say you get all this from darkness. Yes, I do. It speaks of one major truth. Sinlessness. Why do I say that? What was inspected in the old covenant? The lamb or the people? The lamb. What's that? Grace. The lamb was thoroughly inspected for how long? Four days. Jesus came in, triumphant procession. He was in the house, the house of God, Jerusalem, for how long? Four days. He was thoroughly inspected. He was the sacrificial lamb. The lamb could not have any spot or blemish, not one. If it was, it couldn't be used as a sacrificial substitute for the sin of people. Amazing. Here comes Christ in the New Testament. He was thoroughly, thoroughly examined and was found without fault. Friends, that is called redemption. The Bible says in Ephesians 1 verse 7, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, 
according to the riches of his grace why was this possible because he was sinless if he had any sin he couldn't be the Passover lamb but now we have a problem we have, we're going to examine a few interesting problems today. You see, you know the Lord is smart. He's smart. All the smart people that you know, well, He made them, even if they're so smart that they think He doesn't exist. But He did make them. Hebrews 2 says this, this is the problem, that it had to be a man. See, why was it a lamb in the Old Testament? Why always animals? Because there was no man that was without sin, because they're born with sin. So there was no innocent blood. Interesting. So every year, every year was terrible. Year after year, sacrifice, animal. Why? Because the Bible says in Leviticus, the strength of the soul is in the blood. The power of the soul, the life of the soul is in the blood. So the life of the power of the soul in the animal was not enough to atone for very long. And it says one day there has to be a substitute sacrifice that is a man because it's a substitutionary sacrifice for men, for mankind. Look what Hebrews 2 says. Since the children of Israel have flesh and blood, and well, just children, that means actually not children of Israel, children, just meaning people, the children of God, on all the people, we have bodies, right? You have flesh and blood. He too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death. That is the devil. Another thing people don't believe in. It's one of the devil's greatest victories to make people think that he doesn't exist because if you think he doesn't exist well then we have a problem because you have to point the finger for the look at the world so then you have to point it at someone he might break the power of him and holds the power of death that is the devil and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by the fear of death why it's absolute finality death and taxes 100% of people. Absolute finality. For surely it is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. In other words, those who recognize who he is. For this reason, he had to be made like them, fully human in every way. And some people go, whoa, 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 he was God. Yes, he was God. It's a doctrine called hypostatic union. We won't get into it, but he was fully God and fully man. He was worshipped when he was on the earth, yet he worshipped. He was prayed to, yet he prayed. There's a whole long list. Fully God, fully man. For this reason he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, that he might make atonement for the sins of the people, because he himself suffered when he was tempted, and he is able to help those who are being tempted. It brings a major truth, friends, to the shores of our mind, which is what? That Jesus defeated death as a man. We have to understand that. As a man. He did not lean on his divinity to do so. Because otherwise, God's integrity would have been compromised and it would not have been a substitutionary sacrifice. He had to do it as a man. He was fully God, but he had to do it as a man. The Bible says he was tempted like we are in every way, and yet was without sin. Now, he wasn't born with inherent sin like we are. Well, Adam wasn't either, but he sinned. 
Yeah? In every single way. The Bible even says in Romans 8 that God, what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh. In other words, it came through a man, Moses. And it was weak because it could pronounce judgment on sin, but it could not remove it. Could not deal with it. Could not change it. It said, so God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. I could go on and on. Acts 2.22. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God through signs, ones, and miracles. 2 Corinthians 5. By man came death. Adam, by man came resurrection. Same word in the Greek. Over and over, the Bible tells, telling us something. He did it as a man for you. He didn't die for you. He died as you. And only he could do it. Because the devil actually won a terrible victory in the garden. Terrible victory. Because once they did what they did, which we'll get into, and death entered. The Bible says through sin, death entered. Every person on the earth born after that was born with a nature that is bent and marred and twisted. So let's say, it's not possible, but let's just say, John Ganaway, let's use him. Let's say John is just the most amazing person on the earth. You, you, his wife's going, absolutely. No, she's not. So, and he comes and he's born and he never sins ever. Never sins. Not possible, but let's say that. It's still not good enough. Why? Because he has inherent sin within. So the day comes for a reckoning. It's now the time. His end has come and there is a payment due and it is still death. Why? Because the wages of sin is death and it's inside and we don't have the power to remove it sin has a wage it earns something as you live it earns something it's earning you something not fun it really is why does sin have a wage because he is life and sin separates therefore no life what does it earn? Death. Sin has a penalty. It must be paid. It must, it must, it must be paid. It must be. So, Jesus comes in the likeness of sinful flesh, but he was not sinful flesh. He comes in the likeness of sinful flesh, but he was not. He says, had no sin. He had no sin, yet he, was, he became sin, 2 Corinthians 5, for us. So that we might become his righteousness. That's called redemption. That's called grace. Picture it this way. Say I'm deaf. Okay. Sorry to say that. And there's a long line. All of history. I said this before. Long line of people. And every person who stands in front of me. I'm owed to them. That's what it's like. Every person comes down. I'm owed to you. Death holds fast all who enter. Why? Because of what you're born with. So it says, I'm owed to you. This is real, friends. For those of you visiting, this is real. And it says, I'm owed to you. No matter what you've done right and wrong, I'm still owed to you. Now we will be resurrected again in the last day when Jesus comes back. But I'm talking about here and now. And that's an amazing victory, obviously. But in the here and now, every person that has come before death has not overcome him because of what's inside imagine death when Christ comes down Christ dies he goes into the grave it says he descended here comes Christ no sin 
Never seen that before. Now what? Now what do I do? There's no sin in him. What do I do now? It's like I see death going, uh, I don't know. I don't know what to do. Because the Bible says we are born a slave to sin. Sin is our master. It's a, it beats us. That's what the Bible says. So Jesus descends and says, that is not my master. You are not owed to me. Therefore, you are my slave. You belong to me. That's the Bible. That's when darkness came, friends. We have to understand it's pointing to something. It's pointing to something. It was a supernatural event. That's why it says, behold, pay attention to this. Pay attention to this. Are you with me? We are redeemed, forgiven by the actions, the merits, by grace that we did not pay for. What happened next? It says, the veil in the temple was torn. Now, this was separating man from God. That was the whole process. They had to put a most holy place where God's presence physically, physical presence dwelt. Now, some of you sitting here saying, well, God's everywhere all at once. He's omnipresent. Yes, I agree. He is. Well done. That is correct. True. But if he's omnipresent and he never changes, which he doesn't, he's always been omnipresent. Who would agree? Yeah? Hello? Okay. Yet why was it different then in the most holy place? That's his tangible awareness of God, powerful glory, presence. And there had to be a separation between that and man because of sin. But now it says, behold, the veil was torn in the temple from top to bottom. You know how tall that veil was? 60 feet. This is a 25 foot high ceiling. So it's twice as high as this. No man can go up there. They didn't have cranes. Old temple. 60 feet high. It was woven with such strength. It was so heavy and so strong that it was as thick as a man's hand. Four to five inches. And it was woven with such strength that they used to test it. They could, and Alfred Edersham will show you this, rabbinical literature will tell you this, they will tie horses to it and try to tear it apart with horses and beasts could not tear it. It would take 300 priests to manipulate it, to take it down, to clean it. I'm talking something that we don't understand. Strong. All of a sudden, they're standing in the temple, probably inside the temple, Passover, making atonement. And the veil is torn from the top to the bottom, supernaturally. No man can do that. Imagine the sound. Have you ever gone into a really quiet room and just torn a piece of paper? It's very disturbing. If your baby is sleeping, you don't want that in, your, in that room. Don't tear that piece of paper. Imagine the sound of that. The, the, it must have sounded like thunder. It shows us something, though, very, very important. We've been forgiven. That's redemption. Darkness. We've been forgiven. Redemption. We have redemption. But how many of you know you can forgive someone, but it doesn't mean you like him? Everyone's like, I'm not like that. That's not... Mm -mm. Okay, that's truth. Forgiveness doesn't mean reconciliation. Okay? Well, let's read what the Bible says. Colossians 1, verse 19 to 22. It pleased the Father that in Him, Christ, all the fullness should dwell. There we go. That's fully God. Jesus, fully God. 
the fullness of the deity in Christ. It says that all the fullness should dwell and by him, Christ, to reconcile all things to himself. By him, Christ, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross, and you who were once alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has, he has reconciled in the body of his flesh, that's what he, the sacrifice, through death, underline that, through death. The resurrection, not yet, but even through death this happened, as he died, reconciled to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. So you were alienated and you were enemies. The word alienated means separated from fellowship and intimacy. That's the veil. Separated from. Cannot be near. And then it says you were enemies. People say, well, that's not very nice. Well, it's true. You were enemies where? In your minds. In your mind. Why? The Bible tells us why. Romans 8, for to be carnally minded, in other words, to think with earth's processing, to think with just natural thoughts, is death, but to be spiritually minded, Romans 8, 6 to 7, is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity. That word means hostility to God. For it is not subject to the law of God, nor can it be. Why hostile? Why? Why was there, why were we enemies of God when we were born? Because of the garden. You've heard, some of you have heard me say it many, 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 many times. What did God say to Adam? Don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. People think good and evil is good and bad. No. Or right and wrong. It was full knowledge, that's what the Hebrew means. From good to evil. To have full knowledge. Why? And when Eve saw it, it says... She saw it and she said, the fruit was desirable to make one wise. Hmm. And then the Bible says later, everyone does what is wise in their own eyes. The Bible also says in Proverbs 14, there's a way that seems right to a man, but at the end, it's the way of death. So the Bible also says that when they ate it, their eyes were opened. So why is that important? They see this thing, the, the fruit of full knowledge. We can have full knowledge. We can, in and of ourselves, have full knowledge. That was the enemy's lie. He actually was telling them, God's holding out on you. If you eat that, you'll be like him. They really were like him. The Bible says they were made in his image and his likeness. The Hebrew word there is twin. They weren't God, but they were most like, they were most like him than anyone's ever been. Fully naked, no shame, no sin on the earth, no death. So they took and ate something to make one have full knowledge. A carnal mind. I'm going to take that, oh, I can, I'm going to have full knowledge. It says their eyes were opened. And then from then on, the Bible says the imagination of a man's heart is evil continually, even from youth. So what is the mind, what is the part of the mind of man that is hostile to God? It's one simple thought. I don't need God. <laughs> because I have full knowledge. I'm fine all by myself. 
Look at the world. That's why people genuinely believe. What was the center of that whole thing that happened in the garden? I've always said, what was born in the garden? Self. Well done. I believe that with all my heart. Self-justifying, self-preservation, self-self-me, me, me. Instantly blaming everyone else and now self. That's why I've always said the opposite of love is not hate. It's self. Love does not seek its own. <laughs> and sometimes that's very difficult. What else was the center of that? Wages. The wages of what entered is death. It's a wage mentality. It's a performance mentality. I can of myself, with my full knowledge, I'm fine. I will earn my way out of this. Hello? That's a carnal mind. That is hostility to God. We needed reconciliation. We were forgiven. Great. But we need fellowship so we can have life. And that means we need to say, Lord, I recognize that I need you. I desperately, desperately need you. That's why the Bible says the human heart is transformed through the renewing of the mind. I hope this is helping. Making some sense. Making sense? Wonderful. Jesus has reconciled us. He has opened the way. Friends, we opened the way, and only he could, for fellowship with God, intimacy with God, forgiveness from God. No longer enemies. No longer slaves. What about the earthquakes? It says, the earth quaked. Now there's a bunch of earthquakes we need to look at. There's a few. And we'll close soon after that. The first one, again in the Old Testament. When the law was cut, when the covenant was cut with Moses, what happened to the mountain? It shook. There was an earthquake at the outset of the covenant of the law of God. Jesus said, I have come not to abolish, but to fulfill the law. At his death, he gave up his spirit. He said, I had to take vinegar. I had to, everything had to be fulfilled. And it was. All prophecy fulfilled. Sinless. Fully examined. He said, it is finished. It's finished. And the earth shook. Why? God saying, the righteous requirement fulfilled. Fulfilled. Someone has fulfilled it. Atonement made. Well, that's great. Reconciliation. I now can have friendship, intimacy with God Himself. Great. But also, the righteous requirement fulfilled. Meaning what? That I am hidden with Christ in God. And that I, because he fulfilled it, he has the privilege and the power to give that righteousness, meaning right standing with God, to anyone who is his. No one else can do that. So I say, you're mine? Oh, have my righteousness. Because your son? Oh yeah, mm -mm. not so good. Because you have inherent sin with you. Even if you never do anything wrong. Mm -mm. So I give you mine. That's the, second, that's the earthquake. The earth shook. 
very real to me, friends, because I tried this <laughs> as a drug addict many years ago. And you know that you cannot, of your own self, fix the heart. You cannot. And then God steps in and says, I have a righteousness for you, son. I have righteousness. Do you want my righteousness? Give me your life. We are found in Christ, friends. It's the Sixth Amendment. When everyone gets arrested, you have the right to aid an attorney. We have an advocate in heaven. And ever we do stuff, he goes, paid, boom, paid, boom, reconciled, redeemed, paid. He's our advocate. He's our lawyer. We have a heaven, Sixth Amendment. The enemy accuses us, and we say, well, I have the right to an attorney. The one who destroyed you, that's my lawyer. Enemy's like, again, again. That's exactly what happens in the high court of heaven. That's what happens. That's what happens. Then, it's very interesting, most people, not most people, a lot of people don't, it's not as well known. Matthew 28, verse 1. Now, after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, imagine being her, you know? The other Mary, that's great. And the other Mary came to see the tomb, and behold, there was a great earthquake. Earthquake number two. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door, sorry, and sat, in it, sat on it. His countenance was like lightning and his clothing as white as snow and the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. But the angel answered and said to the woman, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus. Not the Christ, he was. Jesus Christ. The Bible says that if you say you love the Father, but do not believe or love the Son, you do not know the Father. People say, I love God, but I'm just not so sure about Jesus. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Friends, when you know him, he's real and he's alive. It says, but the angel answered and I said, and said to the woman, do not be afraid. <laughs> How many times the Bible has to tell us not to be afraid. For I know that you seek Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen. I love the angel's little cameo that he puts there. Because the angels, they don't disobey. Because otherwise, they don't have grace like we do. You understand? Like, didn't work out so well for the devil. And so the angel throws a little cameo, as he said. It's like, I just see it. He told you again and again. Do you see now he did it? I believed him before you. So come and see the place where the Lord lay. An earthquake, second earthquake. Why is that important? The fulfillment of an old covenant, the beginning of a new one. The earth shook, friends, to say new covenant has now started. Resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that's why it says the people, the saints that came out of the grave, actually says, it says that, and coming out of the graves after his resurrection. Not before. After. 
the graves were open. Boom. But they waited there. And they came out of the grave after he rose. Because he conquered death. Friends, we have to understand the power of what it is to have death conquered. Do you know that you were born dead? I know that sounds horrible. I'm not talking physically. The Bible says in Ephesians 2, and I'm just going to say it because it will take too long to go through, that you were dead. You were born dead in transgression, dead in sin. When you were born, you were as good as dead. The Bible says that. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and your sin. Dead. Dead, dead, dead. So you needed new life. Because you were born dead. And so you needed new life. But there has, someone has to pay. Someone has to pay the price. I'm always reminded of the movie, I think it's National Treasure, I think it is. When Nicolas Cage, he does all this stuff, bad stuff, breaks the law, but he does it for justice. You know how that can sometimes work. We won't get into that. And so this marshal says, but you broke the law. And he says, yeah, but I had to. He says, but somebody has to go to jail. And I remember when he said that, I was like, just like this. Somebody, the penalty must be paid. So Jesus paid it. Someone's got to pay. Jesus paid it. The one who didn't have any sin. Penalty must be paid. So he pays it. He conquers death. Why? When Adam sinned, if I can quickly throw this truth at you. When Adam sinned, what happened? It says, if you eat of it, you will surely die. Did he die straight away? No. We know it means he will one day now die, death will hold him. Yes. But he didn't die straight away. Adam died a death, in a sense, a spiritual death without physically dying. So Jesus said, I'll come along and I'll die. So that you now, if you believe in me, you can die. A death without physically dying to restore what happened in the garden so that you can be raised to life real life even though you don't see anything happen friends everything changes on your inside everything 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 Bible says you can be dead in sin and therefore dead to God or you can be dead to sin and therefore alive to God Romans 6. That's why we cannot look and figure it out. People say, I'm just going to live a good life. Friends, <laughs> I love you. That is foolishness. <laughs> it's foolishness. Psalm says that only the fool says in his heart, there is no God. Only the fool. When in the Old Testament, when the Israelites were set free from Egypt, that's a picture of our salvation here. What happened? Egypt was okay with them when they were slaves. To the, Egypt means the world. Pharaoh represents sin. They were okay with them when they were in the world. Then they got set free. It says, and if Pharaoh pursued them with all of his army, it's just like a person when they get saved. Their old master of sin, their old master, pursues them. Said, no, I want them back. I want them. Well, there's one thing. There's only one thing that the old man, that the old person you were born on the earth, corrupt, that the old master sin, that the old thing of death is one thing that they cannot follow you through. Death. They all died. The Bible says they were baptized, a picture of baptism in the Red Sea. You know what? None of the enemy can make it through that. When you get saved, we have to understand the power 
of baptism, not just water baptism, that in the spirit we identify with the fact that Jesus went into the grave and he came out of the grave. Why? Because your old man, your old life, the old master cannot weather that storm. It can try, but it's never made it through. Only in Jesus Christ. And God raises us up. He really, really does. And they went into the water as slaves. When you get saved, the old man dies. You go into the ground with Christ as a slave, but you get raised a son. Free. Free. I read you this little list. I think it, I think it might come up before me, behind me. When it says, behold, there was darkness, there was earthquakes, there was people coming back from the dead, there was the temple curtain being torn, it says, behold, pay attention, why? It's the witness of the heavens. It's the witness of the law. The law testifying, saying, this is the man who he says he is, this is Christ. The witness of the heavens, the witness of the law, the witness of creation itself, the witness of the grave. The witness of, the de of death. Most importantly, the witness of the Father who raised him up. Prophecies complete. Rightness with God. Settled. Relationship with God. Opened. Easy. Free. Come, all who want to come. God's integrity intact. Death defeated. The devil stripped of power. A new identity for God's people. Eternal life with more to come because he's coming back. That, friends was what happened when he rose. That's what happened. 